there's a there's a mistake that I've made repeatedly, uh, and repeating a mistake is is never a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, is uh, rushing. Um, ah, okay. Very often, when you're a founder, you're or or you're tense or you're tired or you're under tension for a variety of reasons. You think you have less time than you actually do, uh, either to to launch uh, a given action or uh, or to make a decision, uh, everything. And sometimes I think I've, I've jumped into action a bit too early. And I can give you an example here, um, is um, launching our Series B. So yes, it ended up being extremely successful. We, ra- we raised this 36 million euros in a very difficult climate, for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's taken me too long. And it, it means it's, it's kept me away from operations and uh. from being close to my team for too long. And the reason why it's taking me too long is that I didn't take enough time ahead of launching the process um, to figure out, okay, what, are the ele- what will VCs bet on? What are the elements of proof that they will absolutely need? Uh, because this would have helped me just not start working and spending so much energy before we had these elements of proof, which I knew exactly when they would come. Hey, I'm Renita, and you're listening to The High EQ Founder, a podcast about leveraging emotional intelligence so you can evolve faster and lead better. As an executive coach, I have so much respect for you founders. You're doing hard things, but you don't have to figure it out alone. Listen in as I sit down with deep tech and impact-focused founders who share how they've made hard decisions extracted valuable lessons from their painful mistakes and maximized their return on luck. Today, I'm speaking with Sophie Cahen, the French CEO and founder of surgical robotics startup Ganymed Robotics. Although orthopedic implants have existed for decades, there are still billions of people without access to them. And Ganymed is on a mission to change that. We talked about how a risky decision paid off in speeding up their go-to-market strategy how she uses data and intuition in decision-making, and how Ganymed has made the most of good and bad luck. Here's my conversation with Sophie. I'm so excited to dive in. Um, But first, I have to congratulate you on this most recent award that you've won, the National Order of Merit, which I understand is one of the highest orders of merit in France. So congratulations. And how does that feel? Thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, it's, um, it, it's of course, a lot of pride and it was an opportunity for, for me during the ceremony that I organized to express my gratitude to the team, uh, to our long-term supporters, some of which mm. agreed to go a few months without being paid when we were not uh, in a, as good a shape as we are today. Uh, yeah. And so it was, it was a very um, emotional evening with friends and family. Um, and once again, an opportunity to look back on the journey, uh, yeah. which we don't frequently have, actually. So it, yes, it feels that's great. A great uh, point. Not that it changes much, but yeah, it's a. It's like you say, though. It's like a, a, a an opportunity to pause, look back, and exactly. see how far you've come. Recognize the people that helped you get there, and a good excuse exactly. for a party. <laughs> a good excuse for a party, and and actually, that's something I said during my speech. But we get very few opportunities in life to gather all of our circles, all, all the people who matter for us and who represent quite a, a wide spectrum of what human relationships can be. Ah. And so I, 
I hesitated for a long time before actually organizing a big event with lots of people. And then I thought, look, like, you cannot um, skip an opportunity like that. What is there? A, a, a wedding and a funeral? Yeah. At your wedding, there's another person. And at your funeral, you're not there. So like, if, if you're given an extra one, just seize it. You know? <laughs> so it's... Uh, I uh, like that logic. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're going to talk about various aspects of leadership in deep tech, decision-making, learning quickly, how to identify opportunity. But first, let's, let's put a little context down. Um, Ganymed was founded in 2018 to improve surgical practice and bring computer vision algorithms and robotics to the operating room. And uh, my understanding is you started with a focus on orthopedics, which makes sense because it's driven primarily by age and weight. And if we look around the world, we see all these aging populations. And uh, the first application is focused specifically on a surgical robotic assistant to help surgeons with knee arthro arthroplasty. Um, and so, you know, just reading some of the details, it helps locate the bone in space, guides their gestures. I can imagine you know, there's not much margin for error when you're operating on somebody's knee. So is there anything you would add to, to that in terms of your, your vision and what you're creating? I think it's a very good description uh, of what we're doing. Um, but perhaps what I would add is that today we've entered what I like to call the second revolution in um, healthcare technology. The first mm. one, which was like 20, 30 years ago, is still continuing, is to uh, expand uh, horizon of care, meaning uh, treating diseases um, and pathologies that we didn't know how to treat before. And typically, for instance, a knee implant or a hip implant is precisely that. Um, the same for, for instance, a pacemaker or some uh, cancer therapies. You, you have people live either longer or, or better with new uh, mm -hmm. type of uh, devices or, or treatment. Uh, but this, this is the first revolution. And of course, it's, it's a major one. Uh, the problem with it is access. Uh, so, you know, the um, surgical implants, especially for orthopedics, knee, hip, shoulder, etc., they've, they've existed for decades, but you still have five or six billion people on earth who have zero access to them hmm. uh, for a variety of reasons. And I think a lot of us now in the, in the medical device, tech uh, medical technology uh, sector are working on figuring out, okay, how do we get um, everybody uh, treated? Um, so we're not inventing uh, new treatments per se, but we're inventing new ways of delivering them uh, that allow uh, for increased uh, access. So democratizing, mm. distributing access to care. Uh, and that can be by making procedures cheaper, uh, faster, uh, perhaps less relying on a single person's expertise, but rather making sure that this gesture is performed correctly every single time more or less regardless on how many of the surgeries the surgeon has done before, because it, these are very operator-dependent things. And so just to add on the vision, we're really working on uh, democratizing access to quality surgical care. Um, in orthopedics, to start with, and just for context, orthopedics is the surgery of heart tissues in the body. So uh, mm. from your, uh, your, your skull to your toe. Uh, and, and of course, yes, we are uh, working on a first product for knee. Um, expanding on other indications uh, further down the line. Mm. Got it. So it's not just access to patients, it's also possibly expanding access to the caregivers, so the surgeons who could potentially do the, the, the procedure. 
Exactly. Um, and if you look, I mean, I, I won't go into too much detail, but if you look at the success of uh, intuitive surgical, which is now the absolute leader in soft tissue surgery with the Da Vinci robot, mm. they, weigh, they weigh like a hundred billion uh, dollar on the stock market today. Um, they didn't do any better than the good surgeons at the time for urology or prostate cancer. They still don't, actually. It's never been proven, except they make sure they, instead of having 10 surgeons in the world able to perform a, proce a procedure right. in a half thousands. Yeah. Uh, and so that's where the value, the value proposition is. And the impact of that is huge. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, got it. Okay. Um, and just to cap all that off, your, your, your Series B raised a total of 36 million. At this yes. point, uh, yeah. So we're, we're so I founded the company uh, in in 2018 uh, based on a blank page, just a, a hint of uh, some uh, very visionary uh, tech leaders and surgeons. Um, and now, yeah, for for a bit more than four years down the road, we we've got um, four years. Very exciting. Uh, feedback from surgeons all over the place, and of course, yes, uh, a 36 million euro raise in 2022, which was a lot of work, to be frank. I guess, could you give us just a little more detail? How did you identify this opportunity? What was, did you have some pre-existing interest in? Pre-existing conditions? Um, yeah, no, <laughs> not really. So my, my pre-existing interest has always been in entrepreneurship uh, okay. and on being on the driver's seat of whatever it is I'm doing. Um, and so the previous experiences, yes, did include uh, some material science research in the U.S., um, some private equity in France, some development banking in the Middle East. Mm. Um, some I have a fascination for learning languages, but but these are all, as Steve Jobs would say, dots that you connect eventually. Um, yes. What is for sure is that there's a, a level of curiosity and comfort with risk, um, that and very strong bias for action, uh, and we can get back to that perhaps during the conversation. Yeah. That kind of predispose me to to this kind of um, to this kind of life now the the, the trigger itself or the, the turning point uh, happened when I met uh, the surgeons who uh, were very eager to do something anything that would improve on their current practice ah. uh, not knowing exactly what how with whom for for what and, you know no specific idea no IP etc but a very strong will uh, and a very strong conviction that one could do better uh, than what they had been doing for 30 years. Um, and yeah. we're in the process of proving this intuition, right? Wow. Okay. So what that says to me is that you were able to see opportunity, identify opportunity when you saw it. I identify, I identify sorry, opportunity for a lot of fun. Uh, and I, mm. I was both right and wrong, so there's lots of fun, but not only. Yeah. Uh, that's the I think I would say that's the I identified opportunity for personal growth for sure, and that I was hundred percent right. Ah. Uh, and of course, I've been a consultant before, etc. So, you know, you do your spot analysis, you look at the market, you you figure out yes, I mean there is a need. We, we're in surgical robotics now is where personal computers were before the PC. Uh, so, mm -hmm. I mean, computers were before the PC. So we've Early got days. massive stuff, uh, huge. They, they do stuff that, you know, uh, just a human brain cannot do, but, uh, but they're big, they're expensive, they need help, they're only for large institutions, etc. And we're trying to move it to the, the personal computer, portable computer era. Um, yeah. And so when you think with these frameworks, you figure out, okay, that there's clearly uh, something to be done. And being an engineer myself, I knew that this would be a... Uh, 
technology, IP engineering heavy uh, project. Um, and I, I thought this would be a right way to go back to my roots. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so let's go into the leadership aspect of, of what you're doing. And I love to understand how people make decisions. So mm-hmm. let's start with an important decision, and I'm sure there were many, but maybe you can choose one in the mm-hmm. growth of, of Ganymed over the last four or so years, something that felt very, um, maybe something that you could just explain your thought process and, and share what went into it and maybe some of the results or, or what came out of it. Of course, there's a lot of them. You're the you know, trajectory is the, the result of decisions, but the... Mm. I would say that there's two key decisions, perhaps, that did not seem obvious to observers either at the, I mean, at the time, were perhaps counterintuitive, and I think are amazing gifts that keep on giving. Mm. Um, one of them is hiring a COO when we were only seven, uh, so uh, someone with almost exactly my background, so engineer with an MBA, um, to support me when it was not obvious uh, what the role here could be. Right. Uh, and why we needed a COO when we had no product, no feasibility, no no tech, not much. Um, and it's been someone who's been instrumental in uh, moving the business forward and, and the company where we are now. Um, again, not a novice choice to hire what seemed like, at least from a, an ed- academic perspective, a clone of myself. Uh, but right. it's not in terms of personality, and it's been very helpful. So I would so say, go on. If, yeah, it was that because you saw someone who had the talent, and you just saw yeah. potential, and you said, "We'll figure this out exactly down the road." Hey, absolutely, that's uh, and and we're still figuring it out, and it's it's not necessarily uh, easy, uh, but it's uh, I, I I identified an opportunity. Uh, and I think both the same is true, uh, is and was true for, for this person. But say, okay, we'll we'll figure out a role and, and it will evolve. We were seven at the time, we're 40 now. So, yeah. uh, and w- I had, of course, no uh, exco, no executive committee. Now we're eight on the exco. So the uh, everything changes. But um, I think it's it's helped me grow much faster than I would have without. Uh, interesting. Um, and it's brought mindsets into the company. It's someone who had medtech experience and medtech startup experience before. And we're, um, while we have the same academic backgrounds, we have very different thought processes. Ah. Um, and so um, and it, it's been a sparring partner for me um, that probably I would not have had, at least on strategic matters uh, within the team. Um, and so and a, a major support when things went, uh, uh, were, I mean, in, in difficult times. So right. this, I think, was... Um, uh, very, I mean, a, a turning point. Um, yeah. For the so there's probably not a, a linear way to to prove cause and effect, but there was. It sounds like there were so many ways that this person contributed to your trajectory uh, and Absolutely. the neurodiversity I mean, of the different ways of thinking. How do you calculate? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when you when you have a diverse way of thinking, a diverse way of reacting to things, you you're forced to look at yourself in the mirror and figure out, okay, like mm. the and this is something I learned during my MBA, by the way, which is uh, probably one of the key takeaways. To be frank, is you can be entirely sure you're right and still be wrong, uh, meaning the the level of certainty and the probability of you being right have no correlation. Basically. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. and it's it's, yes, it's good I to agree. keep in mind. Uh, but but apart from that, I mean, in terms of sheer number of projects and workload, you 
there's so many tracks on which we, we need to work on that it's been someone who's been able to just deliver our first clinical trial, deliver uh, winning uh, grant, uh, I mean, grant applications, uh, deliver uh, great candidates who are now part of our exco as well. So it's, uh, it's, it's uh, helped me get out of the phase where I was processing uh, the, the team's expense reports and stuff to telling me, look, we really need someone else to be doing that. Mm-hmm. I was like, why? It's only, me taking, it's only taking me like that much of time. It was like, this is that much of time, too much. Yeah. Um, and so I think th- these, are, these have all been uh, major sports. Um, Got it. And, and it remains, by the way, a controversial decision today because the, the roles and parameters are not crystal clear. Um, but there, mm. is, there are potentially, uh, to our outside observers, redundancies in, the, in our parameters and the way we work together. But redundancy is robustness. Um, pure efficiency is fragile. Yes, uh, yes. To one or the other being away, to one or the other being wrong. Yes. And so I, I would challenge people uh to to think in terms of robustness rather than pure efficiency sometimes ah and i think that's something we're seeing more and more of in this very mm. volatile world where there's mm. so much uncertainty you don't know what's going to happen you can't just be you know cutting your margins so so thinly exactly. so that seems to make a lot of sense bravo okay thanks um, and then the so second that- yeah, that's one. Uh, that's one decision, and the second is more of an operational decision. Is uh-huh. um, in 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 January of this year, so 2023, um, I, I decided uh, a little bit single-handedly uh, to bring. I mean, to to bring a robot, a prototype of a robot, to a surgeons' congress in Las Vegas, uh, uh-huh. Nevada. One of the uh, largest conferences. The, the, the largest conference, so 20,000 yeah. uh, surgeons, uh, 600 exhibitors. Um, it's a week-long wow. uh, shebang with uh, a lot of um, uh, a lot of symposia. I, I mean, all this is where the industry's uh, partnerships, deals, uh, relationship buildings uh, happen. Um, mm. And of course, uh, for... It, it was a major challenge for a variety of issues, of course, logistics, uh, but also the risk of disrupting the R&D roadmap because we have only so many prototypes at the time. So if you mm. want to do your electrical safety, whatever testing, then you need you need prototypes. Oh. So if you ship one or two to the US, then what do you do with, with your so uh, testing plan? Some you're, of the so, process. But at the same time, we know that shipping hardware is dangerous. Uh, what if uh, something breaks in the plane? Then you, you 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 look like a fool with your demo suite and a non-working robot. There's this. There's booking things in advance. There's managing the legal aspects of confidentiality. There's cybersecurity risks. So we had to plan um, night and night shifts for the team back in Paris to help us uh, um, debug or write code or, or adjust the demo. Um, as we went, so it was a big decision uh, and also a major risk. What if we showed our prototype as it is today? So there's still features under development. I mean, there were still features under development, and people say, "I'm not so sure." Then how do we rebound from that from a motivation yeah. perspective, etc.? So, um, it, so the R&D team was like, mm, "Not sure. What about the roadmap, etc.?" Um, the board was like, "Isn't it a bit too early?" Uh, and and I decided to go nonetheless. 
Um, and of course, because it took us, I was a bit, <laughs> it was not an easy decision. I took it a bit late. Uh, and so it was really a huge sprint from on the part of the whole team to get ready on time. Of course, we need a passport for the prototype, which is called a temporary admission carnet. And the website of the French customs was hacked on the week we needed to do oh. this formality, whatever. I mean, it, it, it's... We, Stuff you didn't even expect, probably. No, of course not. Yeah, we sh we shipped boxes through two different uh, logistics companies. Uh, one of the boxes arrived late, uh, and one of the boxes got lost on the way back, which is fine. But I mean, anyway, so just to Still. give an idea, but we've learned a lot. Uh, and what I think is uh, the, the clear conclusion is that it was not just a success, it was a triumph. Um, the... Uh, we got uh, feedback from 30 surgeons, a lot of potential partner companies, uh, always relevant, uh, overwhelmingly enthusiastic uh, for different reasons. And sometimes for reasons we had not uh, anticipated as a uh, unique selling point. Typically f features to help move the leg in space or hold the leg in space of the patient, etc. We had not anticipated necessarily. Uh, and same for potential limitations. Uh, we had not anticipated, for instance, that uh, every U.S. surgeon was concerned about high BMI patients. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is always interesting to, to learn, and especially early in the development process, not once you've finalized your, uh, and shipped your, your product. But overwhelming uh, positive feedback. So it was highly motivating for us and the team. For our surgeons as well, it changed their mindset. They realized, okay, we're ready to go to market. This is good enough. What we have today is good enough. Uh, because when you work in a development with a technical team, day in, day out, you mostly see wh what you don't like. Mm -hmm. But uh, taking a step back and seeing surgeons like crazy about our, so excited. our prototype, excited, wanting to play with it immediately and, and really grasping immediately how it worked and performing surgeries on, on plastic legs like we, after five minutes. Uh, we're like, okay, like this is way more than good enough. Like we've got early adopters right here, right there. We don't need to develop this, that, that, uh, whatever additional features we want. So this was yeah. a change of mindset for us. And in terms yeah, of partnerships, and I'd like to interject well, yeah, if I sorry. could. Sorry, Sophie, to interrupt. No, no, sorry. I mean, I'm, this is. <laughs> I'm in the flow, so. <laughs> yes, ahead. yes. So I mean, this is um, a common tendency in deep tech, isn't it? Where scientists want to wait until they've really perfected the technology. And it's kind. It's also a basic lesson of market research. You want to interact with the market and see mm. if what you're developing is really what people need. And in this mm. case, you got so much positive. Well, you just got so much information, right, from the feedback mm. of what's working and what maybe you need to think about. It just sounds to me like you got so much value in that, and um, it sounds like it really speeded up the process and motivation you're, to... you're entirely right i mean it's been the process it's it also it's still influencing strategic decisions today on how early we want to go to market yeah. and with what feature set um and we'll probably go earlier than we thought because we're good enough today um, yeah. and it's interesting because and i think all deep tech founders have uh, tech heavy engineering heavy teams and um, they will always push back on confronting yeah. reality uh, and as, as, a, as a deep tech leader it is our role uh, to remind people that no, we're we're getting feedback now. Of course, it's not perfect. You're telling me it will be in three months. It will not. Uh, we're getting update. We're getting feedback now. Uh, and even after learning all that, after doing so many preclinical 
anatomy labs, etc., and reminding the team that the reality check is key and we need it often. We're still getting pushback uh, from the engineering team all the time saying, no, just one more month, just one more feature. Mm. Just, um, it's and in so, their DNA, but, isn't it? <laughs> it's, of course, but, but now we, we have uh, very strong arguments to say, no, guys, like, uh, we, we, these are very valid points, but we're going anyway. Uh, and we're going with what we have at a fixed date set in advance and not when you think we're ready. Um, yeah, that's, I love that. I, I always think more information is better, right? To help you make mm. your decisions, whether it's uh, negative or, or positive feedback. Um, and like and you the, said, it helps you make a stronger case to, to different yes. um, teams. And uh, of course, and as early as possible. As possible. Yeah. yeah. So the it it keeps on giving because now we have like very structuring partnership conversations with large companies um, that in I mean that started there. Uh, same with like leading influential surgeons everywhere in the world that all congregate to this uh, annual meeting and who got to try the the robot. And now we've got stakeholders everywhere in the world. So, I mean, f for a variety of uh, of topics, even for our own confidence and reminding ourselves that yeah. we it's never too early. Like we've every time we've thought it's too early, let's wait one more year, we were wrong and we were right to do it right here, right there. And so it, it's it was just um it was just a good decision. Now I think everybody agrees. Uh it was just not obvious at the time it was taken. It wasn't obvious, but you had the courage also to go and and trust your intuition when the board, when R&D were saying, no, we're not ready. I, I feel like that took, that was a very bold move on your part because what if it didn't work out? Then I would look like a fool. Uh, but, but to be entirely frank, uh, our R&D leader supported the, the decision. His teams were okay. perhaps more hesitant. Uh, they were hesitant, and of, but they supported Some it. of the board members also, but... Of course, uh, you can go if you want, but you can't disrupt anything else on the roadmap. And I'm like, guys, like there are trade-offs in life. There are no shortcuts, but there are trade-offs. Uh, so it's too much work wow. for it not to have any impact. But yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, and you, you know, you mentioned something that I believe to be very important, especially in deep tech, where there's so much ambiguity. You, you, you don't know. There's so much you don't know all the time. Uh, and, and there's so much you cannot wait to figure out uh, before mm. you make a decision as well. And so there becomes two things that I believe are important and that are very linked, which are trust and intuition. Um, the we, We've learned, I mean, I've hired a team that was already experienced. Uh, the core technical team was had 10, 15 years of experience when they uh, oh. joined the project. Uh, same, of course, with my CEO, same for other leaders within the organization. Um, and very early on, I told them, look, if we if we take an, an analytical approach to every decision we make, we will still be there trying to figure out what's the best thing to do in 25 years. So I'm going to need you to make guesses, informed guesses, to uh, you know, argue guesses, talk about it with us. Uh, but I'm going to need you to trust your intuition because it's, it is... Uh, in, Unconscious pattern recognition. It's not. It's not nothing. It has value. Yes. Um, and the the few mistakes I'm, I've made, we can get back to that. But where when I I distrusted um, minor voice. But um, and what's linked to intuition is the notion of trust, uh, because you need to trust yeah. yourself. So yes. it's some elements of self confidence, not aggressive, not outward facing necessarily, but you need some some trust in yourself to. To think of, 
to follow your intuition, even if you, especially in a context where everybody's an engineer, we're all very analytical um, yeah. thinkers. Um, and, and on, But we cannot have an analytical approach to every decision, otherwise it doesn't work. At right. least not at the beginning. Uh, and right. so you need to trust yourself and others because because some choices are not always uh, analytically driven. They uh, are not necessarily easy to argue, explain, or defend. Okay, and so uh, the notion of trust here is also interpersonal. Yes, uh, we need to trust yes. that other teams are other people first, and then other teams are doing their job right. Uh, that they are uh, putting the interest of the company and the product above everything else, right. uh, that they have looked at everything they needed to look at. First, because uh, otherwise you fall into having to be analytical about everything, which is, uh, takes too much time. You need. Uh, and second, because otherwise uh, you have people doing other teams' job instead of their own, and then you, you lose a lot of efficiency. Yeah. Um, and so trust is, is paramount in this type of organization. Yeah. The it's yeah, it's always a matter of balance. Uh, meaning uh, at the beginning you you need to make choices, but of course as the company grows, more and more choices need to be argued analytically with arguments and uh, uh and numbers and, and, and factual of course. Uh be it for the board, for investors, even internally. Uh and, and so it's a matter of which ones and how and why and, and it's not necessarily easy to scale. A trust and intuition-based company, right. of course. Right. Especially as we we are into, we're now we're targeting mass market, and so we need to figure out, but um, uh, from a uh, quality quantitative uh, way, who our customers are, what they're willing to pay, etc. So we're, we're moving towards more analytical, but uh, it cannot be everything. Is mostly yes. what I'm saying. So it's a matter of balance. So interesting what you're saying. I interviewed Tony Fidel who invented the iPod, the iPhone at mm -hmm. um, Hello Tomorrow, he said exactly the same thing, that so often, you know, R&D wants to rely on data. And there are some decisions that you're just never going to have enough data to make a decision mm -hmm. on. So there, it's that fine balance between data mm. and intuition. Mm. There's 100% of decisions you'll never have enough data, to be frank. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, because you can, you, you can use data. That's the one thing we to, know. Yeah. And it's something that, I mean, Jeff Bezos said once is, if you wait until you have 70% of the information you think you need to make a decision, you're taking it too late. Mm, 70. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so if, if we're at 60, we think we're doing a great job. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a muscle you develop, I bet. Um, yes. Well, let's talk about then maybe some setbacks or quote unquote mistakes that um, have really helped you learn, have given you some valuable learning in your leadership role? I think there's a, there's a mistake that I've made repeatedly. Uh, and repeating a mistake is, is never a great thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, rushing. Um, ah, okay. Very often, when you're a founder, you're, or, or you're tense or you're tired or you're under tension for a variety of reasons, you think you have less time than you actually do. Uh, either to to launch uh, a given action, or uh, or to make a decision. Uh, and I'm, of course, I'm talking from my personal standpoint. I'm extremely action oriented. So mm. um, I, at some point, I th I think a lot of the answers, a lot of the 
reflection, a lot of the thought process can happen on the way. Uh, but it's not true for everything. And sometimes I think I've, I've jumped into action a bit too early. And I can give you an example here. Um, is um, launching our Series B. So yes, it ended up being extremely successful. We, ra we raised this 36 million euros in a very difficult climate, for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's taken me too long. And it, it means it's, it's kept me away from operations and uh. from being close to my team for too long. And the reason why it's taking me too long is that I didn't take enough time ahead of launching the process um, to figure out, okay, what are the what will VCs bet on? What are the elements of proof that they will absolutely need? Uh, because this would have helped me just not start working and spending so much energy before we had these elements of proof, which I knew exactly when they would come. And so ah, it's just okay. a few, quite a few months of spending useless energy because I just needed a few data points that would support our claim. And eventually they arrived and we, we signed three months afterwards. Uh, but it was a year after I started, you know, uh, running in all directions, talking to investors. And so yeah. I, I could have saved a lot of energy. And I think that's uh, if I had thought a little bit more carefully ahead of time about what were my counterparts' motivations and my counterparts' trigger to action. Yeah. So is it a matter, I mean, how are you going to determine whether you're rushing or you have this bias to action? Is it a sense of intention? Is it a sense of that you've planned, you've thought through your strategy? Looking back, what's the one of the lessons? The, the lesson is that, and a good friend of mine says it very often, uh, if, it's, if it's urgent, it can wait. If it's very urgent, it must wait. <laughs> like the, I love the, that. Yes. The, the, let's you know when when it's very urgent. Let's perhaps reconsider why okay. we, we think so much in a rush because you cannot win a fight when you're uh, on a very tight schedule. You cannot uh, even against yourself. You can you cannot make a right decision when you feel you have your back against the wall. Yeah. Uh, especially if this wall is imaginary, and very often it is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like I made a. A recruitment that perhaps was not the best, and then I had to backtrack. Backpedal, uh, yes. Backpedal, yes. Uh, a year later, and this recruitment was before because we thought it's super urgent. We absolutely need to move forward on this particular uh, stuff, etc. And yeah, so we didn't make the ref checks. There's a few. Um, I have heard a, that a, story a, before. Yes. Yeah, a few steps we rushed a bit through. Uh, because we thought we were in a hurry, and eventually you waste more time than you save yeah. uh, by rushing. Yeah. Uh, same for choosing advisors sometimes. Uh, it's better to take a bit of time. Yeah, uh, so it's the so whole slowing down to speed up. Exactly. The slowing down to speed up is uh, a real thing. Um, yeah, so difficult. It is. Uh, yeah. It is because at, at some point, uh, I mean, if, it doesn't always uh, end up being a mistake. Sometimes you rush and uh, right. things fall into place and you're lucky right. and it's great. And it's right. happened to us many times. Uh, and so we're like, oh, great. So that's the way to do it. Well, not always. Yeah. So no. Again, so. it's that balancing act. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love that. Um, and then the, the final question, which uh, might be my favorite, is this idea of return on luck. So every founder gets, quote unquote, good luck or bad luck. Um, but I personally believe that it's what you make the most 
what you do with the luck that you get. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, can you give us an example of, of good or bad luck that you've had and how you made the most of it, how you got return on the luck? It's a very good question. But I, if, if I may perhaps uh, add a little twist, I would say yes. that luck is a return on work. Um, I agree. The, uh, it, it's a return at least on taking chances um, because eventually, you know, you, you're, you're not lucky there's a few ways to be lucky is meeting the right person having the right information at the right time uh, or you know the macroeconomic context or whatever mm. uh, exogenous event happening and you you know somehow surfing this wave there's not a hundred ways for things to to work out the right way uh, if you try to categorize and for for all of these they require you to uh, have your ear on the ground of some sort to receive an information that turns out to be useful uh, or to be out there meeting people and connecting in an authentic way uh, so that there is people are willing to help share share information that might be relevant for you. Um, and there is always this ability to connect the dots. Um, like you've heard something somewhere that is relevant for someone else. And so passing on information as much as possible um, and uh, not using it as a leverage for power, but uh, right. meaning you retain it as much as you as you can uh, to appear unique or more knowledgeable or whatever, but passing on to a, as wide a base of colleagues as possible mm. or even outside partners so that uh, everybody uh, can, you know, can strike a, a <laughs> I don't know, a, a big lucky event if they yes. happen to be at the right place at the right time with the yeah. right information. That's contributing um, so, to the ecosystem, exactly. growing uh, the pie. But so, yes, you're, you're lucky, I think, when, you, when you're ready to be lucky. Uh, and, and surprisingly for us, the more we prepare, the luckier we are, uh, usually. Mm. And it's the case for this U.S. Congress. We're yes. very lucky, but we, pre- great we, we prepared a lot. Um, to be frank, we've been continuously lucky. Uh, there are a few, a few tiny exceptions, but we've been almost uh, continuously lucky, so it's hard to find an example. Um, we, we've been lucky in some of our key hirings, most of them actually. Um, we've been lucky. We've even been lucky when we failed. So, for instance, uh, the, we got a 12.5 million euro support from the European Innovation Council, mm-hmm. 2.5 million uh, grant and 10 million equity investment. We, uh, so it's a very, very selective program. Two or 3% of companies uh, eventually get funded. And it was our second attempt. We failed the first attempt. Oh. attempt. Uh, but interestingly, the year when we, f- we, we failed, there was no equity component at all. So ah. uh, we, it would have only been the grant. Uh, and so the fact that we failed and we tried again a year or two later meant that instead of having 2 million grant, we got 12 and a half uh, million ah, support. Okay. Um, so this is uh, eventually even, and sometimes you don't know when you're fa- when we failed, of course, when we didn't get the funding the first time, we, we were unhappy and we thought we had done sure. a terrible job, etc. But eventually it was, it, it ended up being a uh, being a good move yeah so which is uh which and i can probably find a few examples where things didn't work out as we planned at all and it 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 wasn't that uh, so much of a bad thing 
Um, but I think well, that's really what the question is about. It's a because you can't control most of these mm. things. It's mm. how do you take what you've been given, what's happened, uh, how do you set yourself up to be prepared for things so that you can take advantage of opportunities when they come, and then how do you make the most out of things that maybe weren't what you preferred, but that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And and go from there. And sometimes that blossoms into something that you could never have planned or expected. Exactly, exactly. And that's uh, that's precisely what's happened with us in in relationship with some surgeons, some companies uh, within the the team internally. Um, it's uh, I'm I'm trying to find examples of positive return on luck when it's not a failure that we were lucky in, but a success. Mm. Uh, but it's uh, you know the, things for instance um, we it, it's linked to the intuition because of course intuitions eventually when they turned out to be right you think you've been lucky uh, yes. and so we had a strong intuition back in 2021 we needed clinical data to back up our computer vision claims and so we, we launched a huge project which consummated a lot of resource bandwidth etc to do a clinical trial to prove that our algorithms Perfect, work perfectly in real life conditions on real patients in real OR. At the time, of course, we wrote the protocol and we uh, we thought it would be useful, but we didn't know exactly for what. Uh, we were, it was still too early in the company, but we went for it yeah. eventually. Uh, we got ethics committee approval. We run the trial, and now it's first. We wouldn't have raised money without it. We didn't know it at the time, but it was a key uh, a key trigger in convincing the the funds. Uh, and second. Uh, it's provided us invaluable insights as to first what our existing algorithms can do, but what we can develop further down the line. Uh, so it's uh, again, it seems like we've been uh, we've been lucky, uh, but for me, it's more like we really we strongly feel we need to do something. We're not entirely sure why. Please don't ask us too much, uh, but eventually, it turns out to be a great decision. Um, oh, I think that's it, Sophie. It's because this is all, it's all your, everything is now connected, right? Because you're saying you have this intuition, you can't back it up with data, but you have enough of this sort of sense and pattern recognition to trust that intuition. So you, you take action and you get prepared. And then when the opportunity comes, you're ready. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's, that's really that delicate balance that, that founders are walking and really what leads to success. So, Absolutely. so thank you for articulating it with such such concrete examples. Thanks, Renita, and thanks for everything you're doing to support uh, founders in their in their journey. Yes, there's so many uh, solutions out there that will help our, our planet. Thank exactly. you so much, Sophie, for joining me here. Thanks for listening to the High EQ Founder. If you enjoyed this conversation, why not share it with a fellow founder? And if you want more strategies for leveling up as a leader, hop onto the mailing list for my High EQ Founder newsletter. Link in the show notes. Until next time, remember, whoever evolves faster wins. Wins.